Um, happy New Year. Happy New Year to you, and happy Epiphany. Um, I'll explain a bit more about the, the Feast of Epiphany and the season of Epiphany um, here in a moment, but I'd love first by reading um, the Epiphany passage in Matthew chapter 2. I'm going to be reading from the New Living Translation. It'll be up on the screen, and I invite you to stand with me um, as I read the word of the Lord. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. He called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law and asked, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem, in Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah, for a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. Then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men, and he learned from them the time when the star uh, first appeared. Then he told them, go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child. And when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. After this interview, the wise men went their way. And the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem and went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother, Mary. And they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasure chest and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. When it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route, for God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Um, thank you for, for a season that um, invites the church to lean into um, getting glimpses of your glory. Um, Lord, thank you also for uh, this day that, that reminds us that those of us in this room that are not Jewish are grafted into the family of God. Uh, Lord, thank you for your faithfulness expressed to, to the nations. Um, Lord, we recognize that um, it is a great privilege that we are now included in your new people. Um, and so thank you for, for a time that we get to, to remember that and remember your promises afresh. So we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Please feel free to have a seat. I want to take um, just the first couple of minutes to talk to you about the day Epiphany, or the Feast of Epiphany, um, or, and then the season of Epiphany. Um, actually, church calendar-wise, if you have that come up on, on the screen, um, the church has a calendar, and it starts with Advent, um, the four Sundays leading into Christmas, and then we have Christmas Day and the 12 days of Christmas, and on January 6th, we, uh, on our church calendar, Global Church, has the Day of Epiphany followed by uh, the Epiphany season, which leads into Lent, Holy Week, Easter, so on, and then we repeat that cycle. Uh, the wisdom behind this um, really is this reminder to us 
that our lives are oriented around the Lord. Um, our, our lives are marked by, by his movement, his, his seasoning, his, his, uh, his seasons, his uh, work in the world. Um, Epiphany actually is older in the church calendar um, than the celebration of Christmas. Uh, when you look at the church calendar, the three big feasts that, and, and times of remembrance that the church had were Easter, uh, Pentecost, and Epiphany. And Epiphany is a Greek word, and it, and it means, um, or the way that we now um, understand the, the word is, is that it means manifest. Um, and, and it's a season in which the church uh, celebrates the different times that the Lord's glory was made manifest uh, to the people. And so there's, there's four themes that are marked over the season of Epiphany, and those four themes come right, straight out of Scripture, and they are um, the, the Magi coming and worshiping Jesus. The next story is Jesus being baptized in the Jordan River, um, and then uh, the story after that that the church remembers is the wedding in, uh, in Cana where Jesus turns water into wine. And then um, it's the Mount of Transfiguration where the glory of Jesus is revealed to three of his disciples. Well, you, you go through those and then that naturally leads us into Lent where Jesus now is making his way towards Jerusalem and towards the cross. So that's the church calendar. Again, it's this reminder that, that everything about our lives are oriented around the movement of God in the world. Um, Christmas has an anchoring passage to it for the church. Christmas is, is marked by this anchoring passage in John chapter 1, and it's that for the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness cannot overcome it. And it's John chapter 1, verse 5. There's an anchoring passage to, to the Feast of Epiphany, and it's John chapter 1, verse 14, and it's this. So the Word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. And so the, the, the day of Epiphany and the, and the season of Epiphany is all about these stories where the glory of Jesus was made manifest. Right? There's, there's this point in which the, the Magi show up and they say, we've come to worship the newborn king. We saw his radiance. We, st we saw his light shining and we've come to worship him. The story of um, the, the baptism where John baptizes Jesus, right? John makes this declaration, behold, the Son of God who takes away the sin of the world. And when he's baptized and when he comes out of the water, there's a dove above him, the Holy Spirit's above him, and there's, there's the voice from the Father in heaven saying, this is my Son in whom I'm well pleased. Jesus' glory is seen there in that moment. And then there's the wedding at Cana, and it's his first miracle. This is where his public ministry starts. And, and it's this great feast that's happening. There's, and it's this, this, there's this statement. There's this new wine now that is made available to God's people. Jesus' glory is seen for the very first time. And then it all escalates, right? It's literally on a mountain where the climax of it happens, and it's the Mount of Transfiguration. And, and it's there where you get this little insight from, from I love the way that, that uh, Mark writes it. 
Jesus' clothes turn so white like no launderer can make a robe. <laughs> right? Like, it's just like we have never seen anything like him. And so there, it's this epiphany is all about inviting the church into a place of saying, be floored by Jesus again. Don't let your worship just become routine. Don't let this just be something that we do, but you are re-invited to, to, to gaze at the glory of Jesus. You, you are reminded to be overwhelmed by his goodness. So would you, would you see his glory afresh? Would you be reminded of his goodness? So here's what I want to do. Um, over the next handful of minutes, is what I want to do is I want to visit this story from, from the Magi coming and visiting Jesus. Um, the first half of the sermon, we'll be looking at um, their words that they declare here as they arrive in Jerusalem. Their opening words are, where's the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. And then the second half of the sermon, um, I'll just talk about some lessons I think we can glean um, from observing what's happening um, there by the Magi visiting Jesus. The story of the Magi visiting Jesus is weird. It, it's, it's, it's teeming with peculiarities and mystery. And, and there's a lot of irony that's at play in this story. A lot of it, for me, it, it kind of reminds me of the story of Jonah. Jonah is, is, is filled with humor and irony, and the way that the, the story of Jonah plays out is that the pagans are the ones that are acting like followers of God, and then you have this follower of God who is acting like a pagan. Right? And, and you have this, the enemies of God's people bowing down in repentance and worship of God, and then you have God's prophet hoping for their destruction. And, and, and the story here of the Magi kind of has those same themes and flavors uh, to the story, because what you have happening here is you have these Easterner stargazers, these pagans, who are expressing incredible insight. They are able to discern the arrival of Jesus, and they bow down in worship of him. And then you have another man, Herod, whose title literally is the king of the Jews, and he's acting with hypocrisy, and he's acting out of self-preservation, and he's just trying to make his name great. And so this story is, 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 is filled with all of these, this nuance and these comparisons that are taking place here. Let's start with the, the first opening statement of, of the Magi. They show up and they say, where is the newborn king of the Jews? I love the way that the NRSV, if you have that translation in front of you, the way that it says this, they arrive and they say, where is the child who has been born king? And what I find so beautiful about their opening words here is this. They expected a baby. Like, that's odd. That's just strange. Here you have these kings from eastern lands arriving into Jerusalem, and they, they expect a child. 
And in Christmas season, what we regularly reflect upon is that God arrives in ways that we don't anticipate. God shows up in ways that we don't expect. Look, he arrives in the humble, feeble stature of a baby in a manger, and here you have these pagan stargazers show up, and they are able to accurately discern not only that God has arrived, but how God has arrived. Where's the infant? Is what they ask. There's this beautiful reflection by St. John Chrysostom that says this, the ancient, day, ancient of days has become an, an infant. He who sits upon the sublime and heavenly throne now lies in a manger. And he who cannot be touched, who is without complexity incorporal, now lies subject to human hands. He who has broken the bonds of sinners is now bound by an infant's bands. But he has decreed that ignominy, excuse me, <laughs> ignominy shall become honor, infamy clothed with glory, and abject humiliation the measure of his goodness. For this he assumed my body, that I may become capable of his word, taking my flesh. He gives me his spirit, and so he bestowing and I receiving he prepares for me the treasure of life. Mystery. Our faith is an absolute mystery. And we are floored by the way that God arrives in our life. And what is so wild about this story is these strangers are able to arrive with incredibly deep understanding of the ways of God. Where's the newborn king? They get it. They're the ones that comprehend. It's the people outside of Jerusalem that show up, able to understand what's taking place here. And the observation is they shouldn't have. They shouldn't have understood. They shouldn't have been able to, to discern. And we're actually made to be uncomfortable that God would reveal himself through a pagan practice of stargazing. It just leaves you in this place of going, God, your ways are beyond us. And it also, I believe, challenges the church to realize that the people that we might discount might express incredible understanding of the ways of God. A friend of mine says it this way, listen, God is more merciful than we realize. And he's more just than we realize. And, and his mercy is shown in how he reveals himself to these strangers in a distant land, reaching out to them. The other thing that in, in this same observation about the, uh, their opening statement there, where they're asking, where's the newborn king of the Jews? Um, or in the NRSV, it says, where's the child who has been born king? They confess in this statement that kingship inherently belongs to Jesus. In this statement where they arrive and they say, hey, where's the king? Where's the one who has been born king? In these words, right, they're not coming up, they're not arriving in Jerusalem, and they're not asking hey, where is the child who will one day be king? They show up asking, where is the child who is king? 
And, and in this way, right, they, again, they arrive with incredible insights. They show up and they're able to, to understand the one who is and who has always been king that has now been born, where's that one? Again, it's mind-blowing. Mind-blowing how they can show up and, and, and confess this. But they rightly confess there has, there has not been a time that Jesus is not king. From the very beginning, he is Lord. And this is not a subtle thing by Matthew to, to incorporate the story of the Magi in his gospel account, because what he is constantly trying to convey to us as you read through the book of Matthew is this, Jesus is the Son of God, the King of Israel. That is who he is. He is king, and whether we acknowledge his kingship or not, that does not change the fact that he is king. There are times that I sit at a dinner table with my youngest child, and he will look at a vegetable, and he will declare it to be gross. And I'll say, uh, it doesn't matter how you feel about that vegetable, it is good for your body. The broccoli is healthy. Whether you acknowledge it or not, the broccoli is healthy. Right? And, and, and what's, what's, what's being declared by Matthew all over the pages of his gospel account is Jesus is king. That's who he is. And he's good for you. <laughs> Whether you'd like to acknowledge it or not, it doesn't change the fact that he is king. And his kingship is not determined by your professing his kingship. He's king. He's sovereign. He's Lord. The, the next statement that they make is, we saw his star as it rose. And in a story filled with bewildering moments, this, this moment is the most bewildering to me. Because if you, like, pay attention to what's happening in the story, right? The Magi are in their distant land. A lot of people think that, that, that is, they're trying to discover. There's a lot of mystery, by the way, who the Magi are. Are they kings? Are they astrologers? What are wise men? How many are there? How many people are traveling with them? A lot of people believe that they're probably from the region of Persia and Babylonia and, and modern-day Iran. 800 to 900 miles away from Jerusalem. And what happens is they see a star as it rises... But, but here's what I hopefully want to help in our imaginations here, is that, the, is that they just see a star rise. At this point in the narrative account, it doesn't say that the star is guiding them. Right? If you bring up verse 9 for me, it isn't until after they leave Herod that we're told, after this interview, the wise men went their way, and the star that they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. Right? So it isn't, so they see a star rise and they make their way to where? Jerusalem. They go to Jerusalem. And then as they arrive in Jerusalem and, and Herod, they have a little meeting with Herod and then Herod says, all right, go on your way and find where the king is at. And they step out of that meeting from Herod and it's then at that point that they sat, now see a star, and now this star has a really weird characteristic to it. The star is able to go ahead of them. 
and land precisely over the house that, that the child is in. There was a small season in my life where I lived in a really small town. And, and it's true that when you lived in small towns, a lot of times the directions that you were given were go down the road, because there was only one road, go down the road and you're going to see a blue truck and that blue truck has a big plastic potato in, in the bed of the truck. It's a blue truck. When you reach that truck, you're going to take a left. Right? That's how you gave directions in a small town. Even in a small town where, where everything in, in, in the town was, was fixated and in, in, its, in its regular routine spot, you would never hear directions like, follow that one star. And that one star will be precisely over the house that you're looking for. Friends, stars don't work that way. Right? It just, it just that's not... That's not how they work. But, but what's happening in the story, and that's why when you read through all of these, like, these Time Magazine articles or you get something from the Washington Post and it's like scientists are now able to discern what that star might have been, there's no way. There's no way. There's something, there's something new that's happening here in this moment. But I think that what Matthew is doing Because he's telling us this. Listen. God commands the cosmos. Who else has their own star? What he's revealing to us, this is, this is his glory being made manifest to us. And here's, we have seen his glory. What Matthew is doing here for the people of God is, hey, do you remember my conversation with Job? Let me bring it up for you. You come up on the screen. Listen to what he tells Job. Job chapter 38. Can you direct the movement of the stars? Binding the cluster of the Pleiades or loosening the cords of Orion? Can you direct the constellations through the seasons or guide the bear with her cubs across the heavens? Do you know the laws of the universe? Can you use them to regulate the earth? Because this infant can. We saw his star rise. This is Matthew reminding us we have seen the glory. We've seen his light. This is the one that directs the Pleiades. This is the one that directs the cosmos. We've seen his star as it rose. And then their, their last statement here is, we've, we've come to worship him. We've come to worship him. The Magi arrive in Jerusalem in the region that Herod is king over, and they are walking around the city asking, where is the newborn king? This doesn't seem very wise. <laughs> right? But they're, they're walking around the town, and, and, and 
And I mean, just, just get a picture of what's taking place here because news is going to is is reach the, the palace of Herod. And, and there's going to be this news that's coming into the palace of Herod that there's this caravan of kings that are walking around. They're, they're drawing close to our city. And as, as, as people get more and more information about what's happening there, right, because the kings now arrive into the city gates, and what they begin to ask people is, where's the new king? Where's the new king? And it's, it's no wonder that what happens there in the statement by Matthew is, is Herod felt threatened and the whole city was in an uproar. Because what's likely happening in this place is like, are, are, is this caravan kings coming and announcing to us that someone's going to overthrow the area? Are we looking at war now? Right, that's not a normal thing. It's not like if you were to imagine right now that there was a foreign occupation happening in the harbor of San Diego. And, and, the, and the words that start coming to us, the news starts, right, and, and Twitter starts filling up, and what's, the, what's being told to us is, is all of these ships that are starting to come into our harbor are asking, where's the new president? We would rightly be thinking... We're on the cusp of war. Right? That's what's happening here in this moment. It, it's, it's not tactful by the wise men. It's not subtle by the wise men. But they're showing up, and what they're showing up with is they are not showing up with a regard for Herod. They're not concerned about his title. They're not concerned about his name. They're not concerned about his reputation. They're not concerned about his feelings. They are showing up with a single mind. We have come because we've seen the glory portrayed in the heavens. There's been a sign to us, and this sign changes everything. What's Matthew doing here in, in, in the story by, by weaving the story of the Magi into his gospel account? He is doing something bold and audacious. And what he's doing here in this moment is he is telling people that, that Jesus is the culmination of all of Israel's history. Everything that, that Israel's been hoping for, everything that Israel's been longing for, Jesus, Jesus is it. That's no small statement. For us, we've shown up Sunday morning after Sunday morning hearing reflections on that. But this is the start of a, a new news to people. Where, where all of human history is being reoriented and re-understood in the person Jesus. Listen to this from, from Isaiah chapter 60, looking, starting at verse 1. I don't think I, I have it on the slides. But it says this, Isaiah chapter 60, verse 1 through 6. Arise, Jerusalem, 
Let your light shine for all to see, for the glory of the Lord rises to shine on you. Can I pause just there for a second? Abraham, when he was called by God, what was the call upon him? You are going to be blessed so that you can be a blessing. And through you, all of the nations of the world are going to be blessed, right? Like, that's the understanding. So the people of Israel are living with this understanding that, that God will one day lift Jerusalem up. He will lift his holy city up. And through that holy city, all of the nations will come to worship the Lord. What is Matthew doing here in this one story? He's now saying Jerusalem. He's putting Jesus right there. And he's saying, yeah, it's being fulfilled, but it's being fulfilled through this one man, Jesus. Bold, audacious, and some would even say heresy, <laughs> depending on what vantage point you're looking at this story from, right? Arise, O Jerusalem, let your light shine for all to see, for the glory of the Lord rises to shine on you. Darkness as black as night covers all the nations of the earth, but the glory of the Lord rises and appears over you. All nations will come to your light. Mighty kings will come to see your radiance. Look and see, for everyone is coming home. Your sons and daughters coming from distant lands. Your little daughters will be carried home. Your eyes, Jerusalem, will shine, and your heart will thrill with joy. For, listen to this now. For merchants from around the world will come to you. They will bring you the wealth of many lands, vast caravans of camels will converge on you. The camels of Midian and Ephah, the people of Sheba, will bring gold and frankincense and will come worshiping the Lord. This is no small story here by, by Matthew. This is Matthew declaring to all people this is what we've been waiting for. And through him, all of the nations of the world will find hope. The world was filled with darkness. We saw his star rise, and we've come to worship him. A couple of lessons for us. I don't want to just take us through, and we'll, we'll go through these pretty quickly here. One lesson I, I learned from this is just this. God is working beyond our comprehension. He's, he's working beyond ways that we can even begin to understand. And while we're tired and while we're weary, he neither sleeps nor slumbers. He is at work in ways that you cannot even begin to comprehend. How does a foreign pagan caravan of kings identify that a star means the king of the Jews has been born? I can tell you. Exile. Exile. Because while the people of Israel were rebellious and continued to turn their face away from the Lord, he pulls them, and they are captive in a land of the Babylonians and the Persians. And as they are captives in the land of the Babylonians and Persians, God faithfully works through a, through a handful of people, people like the name Daniel, right? People like a man named Jeremiah. And the word of the Lord, a little seed is planted in this land. 
so that hundreds of years later, there's still this culture, there's still this little remnant that is anticipating what Daniel was prophesying about. And so now they're able to stop and say, oh, there it is. Way beyond our comprehension. God is, God is using times like our exile, like times in wilderness, times even like our own rebellion, and he can use that which was meant for evil. He can use it for his good. He is working beyond our comprehension. The other point that I would bring us to is, is simply this. He's king and not us. He's king and not us. We'd be reminded today that, that the cosmos revolve around him, not us. And, and there's, there's intentionally a comparison that's at play here. Because if it really is that the Magi are king and Herod is king, That, that we've got to wrestle with the fact that there are times in our lives that we're like the Magi. And, and we recognize that like, it doesn't make any sense, but somehow, some way, we're able to find ourselves in this room where we collectively confess that Jesus is king. Like, if, if you were to have betting odds, it, you would be an underdog that you would have started following Jesus, but you're here, right? And, and you've come to find that he's king. But the other side of the story is we've got to recognize that there's sometimes that our inner Herod rises up. And, and we want to maintain our own name. And we want to maintain our own legacy, and we want to maintain our own control, and we want to live with, with the feeling like things revolve around us. And the arrival of Jesus is meant to challenge any place in which we feel like we're king and not him. Some passages for you, if you have maybe your notes or something, um, you can write these passages down that I won't read them to you, but Psalm chapter 130, Psalm 138, verse 6, Proverbs 3, verse 34, Proverbs 29, verse 23, Matthew chapter 23, verse 12. You're probably not getting them all down. It's okay. I'll tell you why in a second. Luke chapter 1, verse 52, James chapter 4, verse 6, 1 Peter 5, verse 5. They all say the same thing. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And the comparison here in the book of Matthew is between the Magi and, and Herod. And it's this place in which God's face shines upon these hum humble kings who come to worship him. And it's, it's just this, this reminder to us is that we would lay our own lives down before Jesus. That we would live with this posture of humility that says, God, 
you're in control and I'm not. And for me, that's good news. <laughs> so whatever humble place that I find myself in, I can believe that you'll raise me up. You'll care for me. That you'll give grace to the humble. But that we would live with this posture that just always recognizes you're king, not me. You're in control, I'm not. And so I rely upon you. I worship you. I bow my life before you. And I just live with this constant posture of humility. And any area in which arrogance, pride, superiority might raise its ugly head in my life, would you weed it out? You're king, not me. And then the last thing that I would say we could glean from this, there's obviously so many other things we can glean from this story, but the last thing I would point out to us is, is simply this. We get to enjoy his presence. Epiphany is an invitation for all of us to be reminded we have seen his glory. We get to, to be a people that, that abide in his glory. We get to be a people that draw near to the very presence of God. And I, I love that, that, that however it worked out, I mean, it's obviously the Holy Spirit that, that we would spend a little bit more time this morning in worship where we would just sing over and over again. Like, let me just, if I have to, let me just sit in this place so that it might settle in. And friends, as we head into this new year, or we started this new year, my, my invitation to you is that would you slow down a bit this year? Would you, would you make space so that you might be able to just delight in the presence of Jesus at some points in your day? There are, right now, maybe it's just setting a simple reminder in your calendar. Maybe it's a simple challenge for someone in this room that says, hey, would you pick up again the practice of Sabbath? I have a cousin who just again started going to church again, and, and he sent me a text this last week that just said, man, everything in my life is so different now because I've made a regular routine of reading the Bible. It's, it's not like this magical thing that was like, if you read the Bible, then all of your life will, will like be taken care of and everything will, will be fine now. But it's no, it's just like, what he's texting me is like, I'm making regular space in my day to be present with Jesus. And, and this season of, of epiphany is, is this invitation to the church. You get to see Jesus' glory. You get to live in a place where his face shines upon you. Carve out time. Carve out time in your day. You just sit until it settles in <laughs> that he is for you and that he is with you.